Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. And today we are discussing the Last Jedi, the eighth Star Wars film in the Star Wars, ninth Star Wars film in the Star Wars saga, really, if you think about it, but the eighth in canon saga, and uh, Netflix's new breakout film, Bright. But first, onto the news. Uh, really quick, to explain where we've been, we took a brief hiatus for Christmas vacation, excuse us, and the holiday, but we're back, better than ever, we're recording on... <laughs> New Year's Eve day. That's that's right. when we're doing this. And you got any plans tonight? Um, yeah, I'm going to a Great Gatsby party uh, with oh, some nice. friends and yeah, nearby. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Did you ever see the Leo DiCaprio Gatsby? I did. I never did. Was it good? Yeah, a little long, a little okay. long. But uh, but yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I arguably had that same problem with both of the movies we're discussing today. I think I'm staying in tonight. Might watch a movie with uh, with Christine and otherwise like just. Take it easy. I'm at that weird stage where, like, I'm 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 after college. And I don't want to party, but I'm still in my 20s, and I'm like, I just want to stay in and do nothing and drink alone. I guess. <laughs> it's no, very I mean, exciting. Pe- people were asking me about going out last night, and I'm like, I'm not going out two nights in a row. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it takes <laughs> too much effort. <laughs> All right. So for movie news, primarily it is Star Wars this week, and I think that's a good place to start. I've got one other story, but for now, let's talk about this. You sent me this article. Um, and I didn't. I don't know if we should dig straight into it. You want to take it, or, or should I? I don't want to. I don't want to step on your the solo one. The solo one. Yeah, I get it. Uh, so, <laughs> according to the according to the, the Sunday Express out of the UK, uh, Disney is bracing for the Han Solo movie to bomb. It's going to car crash, in all capital letters. You found this article. I I didn't see this. So help me out here. What 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 is this talking about? Okay, so I saw this earlier in the week. Um, it was a different publication. And I, re- I read through it because, you know, Star Wars, that brand essentially just prints money. Um, but the the production has been plagued with some issues. They fired the directors about halfway through, brought on Ron Howard to do reshoots and finish the film. Um, and this is very similar to what happened to Rogue One as well. And so Disney's kind of had an issue with firing their directors midway through the project. This has happened now with three different um, films. Um, right. But some of the problems, you know, and it's one of those, a source close to the production, quote unquote, uh, things like uh, Ron Howard was, was feeling like there was too many reshoots or that he was having to redo too much. Uh, they said they had to hire an acting coach for Alden Eichenreich uh, because they were saying he just couldn't act well. Um, and I've only seen him in Hail Caesar, which I, I really liked him in, but I, I wasn't... He was great in that, yeah. I'm not real familiar with his work. Um, yeah, so uh, apparently it's it's... You know, people claim it's a mess and... Disney is writing it off as a loss, allegedly. Right. This is an interesting thing, because when they change directors, it definitely seemed like a frightening thing. When a movie changes directors mid-pace, or really towards the end of it, really, from, like, two young, up-and-coming, hotshot, primarily comedy directors to a veteran drama director like it's a big shift that's that's a hard right turn at the wheel and it was a weird thing but disney was very much you know handling it pr and said no no everything's fine everything's cool everything's under control so a story like this i mean it catches your eye because it's kind of something you were afraid of anyway and when you see a headline like this it makes you go hmm maybe there's something to that i feel like i had heard about the dialogue coach somewhere else but maybe we're we're kind of just drinking from the same Kool-Aid here. Maybe it's coming from the same source. But right. um, I definitely heard he needed an acting coach. I, I mean, I know they changed direction. I don't know about the script. But um, I don't know, man. 
it's a frightening thing. And the idea that Disney might already be looking ahead and going, nope, this is a loss, we're doomed, is scary. Because the Solo movie should be should be a very big deal. It's not one you want to get wrong, you know? But um, Yeah, well, I think it's Disney's finding it a little bit more challenging to build a universe Marvel-style than pre- maybe previously thought. You know, it's a little bit easier with comic books because so many of the storylines are already written for you and the universe is built for you. It's more difficult when you have to do it on your own from the ground up. Right, and Star Wars started in film, whereas Marvel started on the page. So while there had been some film adaptations, as far as the comic book movie goes, they kind of were able to do their own thing. Star Wars, they have to build off something that already exists. I mean, there's steel in those walls, but you gotta, you know, you gotta give it a paint job. And Disney seems to be struggling with that, and I, I can't blame them. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of eggs in that basket. It's a, it's a big deal. Star Wars is big. Um, well, it's, man, simil- it's it, similar to the, you know, the failure of the dark universe. You know, building universe building is much more difficult than people think. Right. It's a, <laughs> it's a pretty cut and dry statement. It's very true. Building a universe is not easy. It seems like <laughs> it would be easy, but clearly it's not because so many so many studios are terrible at it. Um, and it's, I don't know, man. Well, part of it, I think, is, is the pace, too. You know, uh, Disney wants to have at least one Star Wars film every single year until Kingdom Come mm. or so. And that, I mean, that means you got to fast track a lot, a lot of things. And that, that means there's not a lot of room for error or rewrites or, and so maybe you rush into projects that maybe you're not completely ready for. Right. And alternatively, it also means that if one is maybe slated to not do as well, you're willing to be okay with that and move on. And that's, that's what's scary here. They might be writing it off as well. It'll be a hit, but we'll come back. Like that's, that's not a good place to go, especially with a franchise as beloved as Star Wars. Um, right. So hopefully, I guess Disney's got their eggs in, you know, their ducks in a row. And this is not as true as, as, and as frightening as it would lead you to believe. Well, um, we, heard the, we heard the same thing about Rogue One, that they had to do massive reshoots, new director, um, and it came out great. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't know that it was a project by multiple directors, unlike, say, uh, something like... Was it Suicide Squad? Justice no, no, I mean, no, Justice League. That's what it Justice was. Justice League, of course. That seemed like a slice and dice, too many chefs in the kitchen kind of uh, project. Right. To be fair, while I didn't like Rogue One, um, I, it did not feel like a hack job. It did still feel like it was kind of one cohesive right. process project. put in. So, yeah, credit where it's due. Did a good job kind of switching directors there. It may not have worked as well. It kind of worked. Who am I kidding? People like Rogue One, despite what I thought. It, it seemed to yeah. work as a film. That's right. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about we'll talk about rage one later we'll, we'll get into it well wait, not this that, episode later another episode i mean like i said generally when when you bring in new directors and do reshoots it's not a good sign there's plenty of films where that happened and you get a disaster project mm. but sometimes it works out so we'll see it'll be interesting right. uh to follow on this story i wanted to, to move into another star wars story uh solo the film the movie we're talking about uh, locks in key Star Wars veteran. They have booked John Williams, veteran franchise composer, to write the theme for the standalone film Han Solo, slated for release on May 25th. So John John Williams, 85 years old, <laughs> is getting involved in Solo. And here's why this kind of clashes for me. Because we, we haven't talked about Last Jedi. We're gonna in a minute. But 
Last Jedi is a movie that was written and directed entirely by a newcomer to the series. They gave Ryan Johnson the reins. I say, I, I'll, I'll say Ryan Johnson at some point in this episode, and I yeah. apologize in advance. That's um, how I said they, it for they, a long time. Right. They let this guy, I mean, go maverick with it. Like, they, do your thing, man. And we'll get into whether or not that worked. But it's interesting on the other end to see them backing up with Solo and not only getting somebody like Ron Howard, but going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We gotta have John Williams in for this. Uh, help us, John Williams. You are our only hope. At least that's what it feels like. What do you yeah. think? There's a comment I saw somewhere on, on the interwebs where someone was saying, "Well, it seems like Disney's getting these younger, more inexperienced directors, then having problems with them, and then bringing on experienced veterans to kind of save the projects." So I'm not sure how valid that is or isn't, but it's an interesting kind of observation. And I mean, John Williams, incredible theme writer. Uh, I mean, he's definitely one of my favorite film composers. Um, and it's interesting that he was only writing the theme and not doing the whole movie. But, um, you know, he, he, I mean, there's so many themes in cinema, which are, I mean, if you had to make a top 10 list, so many of his are on there. Yeah, totally. I, it's absurd. I mean, we were talking about, didn't he do Raiders, right? Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark? Raiders. Yeah, and, and and last time you watched that, I mean, we, we talked about the music in that movie for... Much longer than it probably deserves. Yeah, because the guy can write a great theme. He just can. And he's got that Star Wars kind of sound, you know, like because there's a lot of similarities between Indiana Jones and Star Wars musically. But yeah, I mean, they, we know it. We know what Star Wars sounds like, you know. It's got the, and I'm not a music guy, so you can do this much better than me, I'm sure. But it's got the sl- slide whistles. I don't know. <laughs> there's no slide, slide whistles. whistles. Star Wars theme. Um, I don't know. You know what I mean, though. Like, the Star Star Wars theme sounds like a Star Wars theme. Like, it's got its own unique kind of expression. Well, what's interesting to me, uh, because having recently watched uh, all seven movies um, in preparation for The Last Jedi, is yes. is how many uh, how much of the music is memorable that's not really all that important. Like, certain, um, certain music from Return of the Jedi when they're in the Falcon or the battle scene on Hoth like there's not necessarily a memorable theme but when you hear the music you know exactly where it's from right and that's what's interesting looking at its predecessor the other standalone Star Wars film that Disney's made Rogue One that was scored by Michael Giacchino is that you say yeah. uh, yes I, don't I think so um, right and while I can't hum the theme to, to Rogue One like I don't know it off the top of my head like it wasn't bad it didn't stand in the way of the movie it was like yeah it's you know music yeah, it works like it it's worked. fine mm-hmm. um, and for a standalone Star Wars saga you'd think they'd be doing the same thing especially with a character like Han Solo who probably won't be making many more appearances in the Star Wars saga um, I don't know why they're harping <laughs> on making such a great th- or what seems to be making a good theme for him um, because when are we going to hear it again? Like John Williams makes themes that are timeless. Why do you need him to make an an epic theme for a movie that is supposed to be a one-off that arguably based on our previous story might fail in the first place? Currently the film is going to be scored by a guy named John Powell, who looking at this article scored the how to train your dragon series, the born series, uh, United 93, a couple of the movies, happy feet, Rio, um, so that guy can probably handle it. It's just weird that they're bringing in John Williams exclusively for the theme. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I can tell you as a musician and a lot of stories I've heard through about Hollywood and Hollywood writing is, you know, the theme really is the most important part. And that's, that is what a lot of 
times. And I've even seen or read interviews with John Williams where that's where he spends the most time. Like he will spend hours crafting the theme and like experiment, experimenting note by note, rhythm by rhythm, slightly changing it. And then once you get it, everything else kind of falls into place. Right. You know, you know and that, and that's compositionally, that's how really good music is written. You take a small idea and you develop it and you expand on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I know there's a lot of weight to that. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's an odd decision. It's one of those ones that makes you scratch your head. Like, what's going on behind the scenes? It makes a previous story, like the one we read, that much more believable. Right. The other story I wanted to talk about, uh, because I really I just wanted to have an excuse to talk about this movie again before the end of the year for anybody that hadn't seen it. Uh, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049 director says we won't see that four hour cut. Ridley Scott produced. Well, now Ridley Scott didn't direct it. Who am I kidding? Um, Denis, Denis Villeneuve, uh, that's another name I tend to butcher, um, made a four-hour cut of Blade Runner 2049 initially. And they realized it was just too freaking long and it was too much. They split it into two different movies, like a, a first half and a second half. Now, what we see in theaters is those two movies put back together and, you know, stitched up so that it was a little shorter, a little bit more efficient. Blade Runner 2049 is still... I mean, coming up on three hours. Yeah, it's still pretty long. It is a long movie, and it is a slow burn. And while normally I'm a big believer in, you know, what's left on the cutting room floor, you don't really need to see it. It does. It's not the full experience. Well, the full experience is what you saw, and the extra footage is unnecessary. You know, save it for the bonus features. I liked Blade Runner 2049 so much that I would like... Frankly, a four-hour cut included somewhere on, like, a Blu-ray. That would be awesome. <laughs> would I watch it? Maybe in two installments, like just yeah. like they said. But, like, man, come on. Like, that movie's great. Like, that's... I feel like it's destined to be, at, at the very least, a cult hit, right? So give it to the cult fans. Give us what we want. I want yeah. that four-hour cut. Let's see it. Yeah, see, my issue with, with director's cuts is that I feel like... They just do them to sell more DVDs. It's like, oh, here's some extra scenes you didn't see in theaters. And it's, you know, it, to me, it's not necessarily, does it make the film better or worse? I, I just, it annoys me when the, when someone says, or I see ads for the exclusive Blu-ray director's cut. Because um, like I said, I, th- I feel like it's more of a marketing thing and less of an artistic thing. And, you know, right. and, and Blade Runner itself was plagued with, you know, d- director's cuts, multiple director's cuts. And, you know, to me, it's ridiculous for, for uh, Ridley Scott to come out and say, in 2000, was it seven when he did the director's cut of... Oh, the, man, I, I don't know. That whole yeah, I mean, it was I something... It, yeah, it's something like, okay, so 25 years, you had 25 years of one version of Blade Runner, and then you changed it, and then you changed it again, <laughs> and it's like... Yeah. It's like, you can't say after something's been out for a quarter of a century and say, well, that what, that didn't really count. That wasn't really... The vision. So I, I'm not a huge fan of, of director's cuts. I, f- I feel like you, it's got to be all that, whatever comes out in the theater, like that's got to be it. That's got to be your full gusto, you know, maybe some cool deleted scenes, but I don't want, I don't want an extra half hour lopped into the movie. Right. And Villeneuve had something to say about this. And I wanted to make sure I got it in here because somebody asked him, man, you're following, you made the sequel to a movie that has like four different cuts. 
like and and you your sequel is directly inspired by one of them like Blade Runner had a director's cut that was a thing Blade Runner had like why not just kind of go with that and have a director's cut for Blade Runner 2049 throw it on the blu-ray and that way you don't have to come back and do it seven years from now if you're feeling I don't know self-indulgent like Ridley Scott was and here's what he had to say about it he said I, I to, to quote him uh, he said the four-hour cut was, quote, too self-indulgent. I'll say that there's no great things that are being lost. When I cut something, it's dead. It means it wasn't good enough. Even if sometimes I'm cutting my favorite shots, I still strongly think that when it's cut on the floor of the editing room, it should not go back to see the light of day again. I don't like extended cuts. Apart from Touch of Evil and Blade Runner, I've never seen a director's cut that was better than the original. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, and I think he's right. I do. Like, yeah. when it's cut... You should probably just leave it, yeah. Because if you trying to add it later, don't don't George Lucas your movie. Don't don't do it. Um, <laughs> well, but at the same time, I don't know, man. Like, uh, come on, Blade Runner twenty forty nine is in its by nature a self indulgent film. You have to be pretty self indulgent to sit through three hours of that movie and enjoy it. Like, give us what we want. We like it. <laughs> give the people. I'll what pay they for want. more of it. Yeah, like I'm I'm excited. I mean, like I said, I I don't like director's cuts. I would I always like. I want to see your best foot forward, and then I want you to move on. You know, right. uh, the, the same thing can happen in uh, in music, where a composer can, might go back to a piece a ton and just, oh, I want to keep making it better and better. And it's like you could stay there forever, or you could move on with your life. Mm. You know, and generally that's how you Im- improvements are made is when you just kind of go to new projects and not right. just completely dwell on the past. Well. I guess that's a good point. And in the spirit of seeing our best foot forward and moving on, we should move on from the news <laughs> to The Last Jedi. What are we, 18 minutes into this? So, Star Wars The Last Jedi. We talked about it. Andy, I think you should tackle this one. Go ahead. Kick us off. Episode 8. So... I absolutely loved it. I really did. <laughs> it's been in- oh my god, Andy, give us a summary first. Come on. <laughs> oh, well, it, it's it, fine. It's fine. Okay, Go ahead. it, I don't it picks up. Out. It picks up right at the end of the Force Awakens, which is unique to Star Wars because usually there's a, been a big gap between each movie. But it, I mean, it's literally almost right. At, you could walk watch them back to the to back. There's zero time uh, seemingly between them. Uh, so quick summaries: Ray has found Luke, and so she goes to train with them. And the resistance is fleeing the first order, who's hot on their their tail, and that's pretty much the setup. And I mean, there's a lot of things in the trailer that might point at this and that, uh, but I mean, I felt a lot of the, that was red herring. Um, so I'm not really going to get in get into that. But that's that's the setup um, from the previous movie. Um, so I'll go on. So like I said, I, I really loved it. And, you know, a lot of fans wanted to see lots of different things. People wanted to see, you know, this person fight this person or this person be related to that person. And the one thing I just wanted to see was something different. Oh, my God. I just wanted something that I hadn't seen before. <laughs> because, you know, the, pre- the prequels are essentially almost a caricature of Star Wars. Like, you, want, you like lightsabers? Here's a thousand of them. Obi-Wan wears a robe. Okay, now we got the robiest robes that ever did robe. And every all the Jedis have these huge, thick cloaks. I mean, it's just, it's almost right. ridiculous. And then, and I really like The Force Awakens, but it's, you know, it's very similar to uh, A New Hope. And it, and it was a setup movie. I knew, I didn't expect it to take a lot of risks. And so we get The Last Jedi and we finally see a lot of new things. And, you know, I had my own small fan theories. I try not to speculate too much, but... It went in a completely different direction than anything I had thought 
um, it would go. Um, and I really enjoyed that. We got to see, I, I don't know, we, we just saw a more com- in-depth movie, more complexity, deeper characters. You know, like, uh, I think we had discussed how it would be great if we saw the, you know, the Blade Runner 2049 version of a Star Wars movie. Like, something that has some yep. real depth and, yeah. you know, has universal meanings and messages. And The Last Jedi doesn't quite get to that level, but it is about something. There are themes. And, I mean, I've read a, a ton of articles. I've watched several lengthy reviews and analysis. And there is so much in there. And I've seen it three times. And every time I watch it, I catch more and more of kind of these underlying themes. And I enjoy it. Like, it has really high rewatchability. Right. And that's that's kind of where I want to start this conversation, talking about rewatchability. Um, Star Wars is often known for its rewatchability. Before Episode Eight, leading up to it, you bought your tickets, like, two months in advance, right? I mean, how, yeah. how far ahead? About two months. Yeah. Right. And you were th- Thursday night, first showing. You got yeah. a seat. It's going to be great. Um, I didn't even go see it till like a week after it came out. <laughs> right. You marathoned all the previous Star Wars movies, save for Rogue One. Um, right. Which is worth mentioning because it's not as great as everybody thinks. Uh, and you got totally got in the mindset for Star Wars. I didn't watch a single one leading up to it. <laughs> um, you you've seen it three times. I've seen it once. So we're coming at it from different places, and it's mm-hmm. not that I don't love Star Wars. I do. Um, I think I am beginning to suffer from like that jaded cynicism. Sure. That is Disney's making one of these every year. I keep seeing more and more news about it. I'm getting tired of star Wars, you know, which bums me out, but, um, it's important to understand where I'm coming from. Typically when I go see a movie, I try very hard to kind of leave my ambivalence at the door. Um, and it's rare that I'm really able to do that. I, well, I feel like it's rare that I'm able to do that. I feel like a lot of the times I end up going to see a movie I feel like I'm not going to like, and I don't like it. Um, it's self-indicating. But in the case of a movie like Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, I wanted to hate that movie. And I finally saw it and was like, this is actually pretty good. So I say this going into Star Wars Episode Eight because after a week of having not seen it and seen the internet go back and forth from petitions to people saying we want it removed from canon to other people saying it's the best Star Wars film of all time. I really didn't know how to feel about this movie going in. And at the end of the day, I liked it. I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of things you can be nitpicky about. There's a lot of things that I felt like, Oh, well maybe this wasn't as good as it could have been, but it's a Star Wars film. Okay. Like it, it, it rang all the Star Wars bells. It checked all the Star Wars boxes. It satisfied that Star Wars itch that we all wait exactly 364 days for every year. Um, it was great. I don't know. And like, it, it just surprised me sitting there like uh, the movie hit the end of the credits. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I got, I got things I can nitpick, but like it's a fun family sci-fi blockbuster movie. Star right. Wars. Well, Episode 8, great. Thumbs up. I don't know. Yeah, it's all yeah, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And some of the things, um, uh, or some of the films it reminds me of are actually things like Logan and Unforgiven and even some of the, the Dark Knight in that it's kind of deconstructing the like the myth of the hero. Um, and the, and this is something that hasn't been, been done before. And that's, again, what I've talked about uh, different things or see, wanting to see something new and we can talk we're going to talk about this more in depth in our our death of cinema segment um <laughs> but it's you know it's kind of a lot of people are upset because it they felt like it was 
quote-unquote disrespectful to the original trilogy or that it's trashing, uh, you know, the the series or the saga or the property. Um, and it's it's like, it's kind of time to move on, on to, to new things. And that, like I said, I was glad to see some new, I mean, this mild spoilers, but some new force powers, uh, characters, um, just different from what you would expect. And I've seen, I've read a lot of interviews with with Ryan Johnson, and when he explains his thought process, I was like, that makes total sense. That is a logical progression of where you think this character would be. Um, I want to touch on a couple other things that really stood out to me sure. uh, that I like. So it opens up with a space battle, um, really impressive. And what I liked about it is that I could tell what was going on. Because usually in Star Wars, a lot of times, particularly at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, there's this massive space battle, a million ships all shooting lasers, and you can't really tell what's going on. Who's a good guy? Who's a bad guy? It's just all chaos. Mm. Um, but the opening of the Last Jedi has this this great um, space battle, and you you get it makes military sense. There's this side is trying to do this, this side is trying to do this, and this is the plan, and this is what we're doing, and it's really great, and it's really great entertainment. But you, like I said, it was just cohesive. I knew what was going on. It was a, it was a great way to start start the movie, and I, I really appreciated that. Right. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me is the that I wanted to touch on is the amount of female roles in the film. Um, Carrie Fisher, Laura Dern, and specifically more of the supporting characters, because a lot of times I'll see you know maybe more female leads in a film to you know try to be more diverse. But then if you look at, like, the rest of the, like, you know, the henchmen or the rest of the kind of supporting characters or extras, a lot of times there's, it's not really equal or there's not a lot of uh, gender diversities. So I like that in this movie there were plenty of kind of supporting characters, minor characters that were also female. It wasn't just, you know, red shirts or whatever. Right. So that was something that that, uh, stood out to me. It is telling that so far uh, in 2017, um, there are the, the top three, I think, films of 2017 at the box office, Star Wars Episode Eight. now that it unseated Beauty and the Beast, which is now number two, and following that, Wonder Woman, which is number three, all have female leads. Right. Like, and it's, it's, it's a good feeling. And Star Wars is definitely one that doesn't feel like it shies away from any kind of gender bias. It doesn't. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel out of place either. It's not like... I don't know. I, n- I never get the sensation like maybe this part should be played by a man or maybe that put like, I, yeah, I don't know. Women in Star Wars fit just as well as men in Star Wars. I never felt like I had took issue or umbrage with that. Um, so the parts are played well. I felt like um, the women in the film, you know, they, they, they hold their spot down. They, they do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and to really quick mention the first point, yes, uh, military prowess in Star Wars Episode Eight is relevant. There's a lot of battle in this one. I mean, it's not like a war or anything, but there's there's a fair amount of, you know, lasers and fires and gunfights and bombs and, like, some good stuff, some good action. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. Um, so I do have a, a couple of critiques. I don't want to just pra- – I mean, I could, could just – praise it all day but there are a couple of things that stick out there are some critiques yes. it is it is a little bit too long it's too, i mean it's a solid two and a half hours um so i do think some things could be cut down maybe shave shave down time wise i can't really tell specifically where um but it, I, it just feels maybe a little bit too long uh, there's a section in the middle that a lot of people kind of don't like so maybe trim that down a little bit um the other thing is that it suffers from the return of the king problem where you have 
Lots lots of endings. Like you, you keep thinking it's gonna end. I didn't really realize this on my first watch, but in subsequent watches, I was like, oh, you could have ended here or here or here. It does feel like there's you know three four endings. Right, and then I would argue um, there is an extra ending. It's not there's no post credit scene or anything in it, but there is a there is a bit where it feels like the credits should come up for me at least, and it cuts to another scene. And I was like, what is this? And then it goes to credits. Like, oh, got it. Okay, yeah, that's. Right. That's cool. Like it does, it does kind of lull you into that false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I, I kind of struggled with, and I, I think you you had to have picked up on this. We haven't talked about it yet, but was the, the idea of maybe a little too much like forced humor in the movie? Oh yeah, I've I've read that critique a lot. Like some people saying, "Oh, it's trying to be too much like a Marvel movie, and the humor is out of place." And uh, I mean, to me, I laughed a lot. I I mean right. I, I to me it was definitely like yes they're obviously trying to insert more humor, um, but I was I mean it doesn't bother me. What's wrong with with laughing? With you know having some no few jokes. no 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 and right so, I I never go ahead. Some of them some of them are more funny than others, uh, but the the humor didn't bother me. And, and like I said, you know films go in trends. They different films will jump on different trends. I know that Suicide Squad attempted to add more jokes after the success of Deadpool. And it's like the studios went, oh, people like to laugh. Let's add, write some more jokes. And that didn't really work in that movie, but it's, it's a trend that's kind of happening now. It's, there's Marvel, certain kind of Marvel humor, and I think they recognize that audiences like to laugh, and so they're writing a few more jokes than they right. maybe I, normally I, would. I don't think star, humor is necessarily out of place in Star Wars, and that's a big part of this, is a lot of people hold this movie up to every other Star Wars film and say, well, it doesn't, doesn't do this. It doesn't, it doesn't meet this bar. It doesn't, it doesn't jump over this. That's okay. I'm all right with that. As far as the humor goes, I you know I'm I'm not. It's not that it's out of place in the film per se. It's just some of the jokes don't pay off. I just didn't laugh. I was like, well, if that if that had been a funnier joke, it would have been fine. Like, but <laughs> there were there were bits I just didn't get a kick out of. I know because because the movie very early on there, there's there's a gag, there's a joke, um, if, courtesy of Poe Dameron. Uh, and I know some people were like, well, that felt out of place. I'm like, well. Episode seven opens with a joke from him talking to Kylo Ren for the first time. Yeah, there's a bit, there's a, there's a joke. It's not really particularly funny, but like that's the kind of character he is. So when he makes a joke, it's not necessarily out of place. You just may not be. It may feel out of place for you, but it's not out of place for the world they're building and the characters in it. And that's what's important here. Like, you, you got to leave your expectations at the door a little bit. Just kind of roll in, you know? Yeah, I think people that have been really unhappy with it, that's been the main problem is like, oh, I wanted to see X, Y, and Z in this film. And the, and to me, that's, that's just a little... It's almost ridiculous because I think, you know, when I went to see Lady Bird or when I went to see Dunkirk, I didn't go in saying, oh, I want to see these things happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I want to leave my expectations at the door and just appreciate the film for what it is. And ironically, a lot of criticisms that people bring up, other people have pointed out, well, those exact things are also in the original trilogy that you hold so dear and on a pedestal. Right. It's easy to get tunnel vision when you're really passionate about a film series. I can understand that. Um, But as far as the, this feels out of place, this doesn't feel right. I'm like, man, it, I think you're nuts. I checked all the boxes. Like like we said, there's that there's that bit in the middle that was a little people thought was a little long, a little drawn out, and they do a little bit of world building in there. You get to see kind of a new location, a new setting, new planet, um, and kind of a new environment in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I thought it was cool. I, it reminded me of the Moss Eisley Cantina scene. I'm like, Star Wars has to expand. So when they go somewhere new, when they do something different, if you don't like it, what are you gonna do, man? Like they gotta go somewhere, <laughs> you know? Like. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's well, it's got to happen. Well, sometimes I feel like people want to see more of the same. You know, I, I watched a little, this clip of the Lord of the Rings uh, earlier this week, and I thought, you know, that's, that's what people wanted to see in Star Wars. They just, they wanted to see the same epic again. They wanted to see Luke be exactly like Yoda or, or Obi-Wan, and they wanted to, like I said, they had expectations that they, they wanted fulfilled. And, you know, like I said, I, I had some expectations of what I thought Luke would do or how he would be like. But, you know, Hollywood is filled with professional storytellers, professional writers, people who do this for a, a living. And it's I l- would like to let them do their thing. And, you know, what Ryan Johnson did was way better than, you know, what I what I had come up with in my mind. You know, the theories or, you know, speculation I had I – mean, he did a much better job, in my opinion, for what I was thinking. And it's like, that's that's why they're the filmmakers and I'm not. Because ideally, they're on a little bit higher level creatively. Right. And creative direction is a big part of this movie. Uh, another issue um, I heard a lot of criticism of, and I felt this way too at times, but I don't think it's necessarily valid in certain cases, uh, was direction of kind of plot points coming out of episode 7 and into episode eight, a lot of people had expectations because of the direction of the film. For example, uh, the, one of the biggest ones is Ray meeting Luke at the end of the movie. And that scene where she holds out the lightsaber and he's got that mysterious look on his face. And it's like, oh, what's going to happen next? Yeah, and he almost sheds a tear. Right. And we, <laughs> we, we talked about this, I think, on a previous podcast. I hope on a previous podcast. If not, we definitely talked about it in person. Um, about episode eight not being able to live up to expectations. It just couldn't. There's no way. Like, there's nothing they could have done in episode eight that you would think, man, that totally satisfied that itch I've had for two years to see what happens there. Like, there's no way. There's The internet was sleuthing it, man. People had theories, like, what's going to happen? Like, there, there, no were there were spreadsheets. There were spreadsheets. <laughs> there's no way that we were going to get to the bottom of all that and get around to December and watch the movie and think, yep, I'm, I'm perfectly content with what they came up with. Well, and going into it, Rian Johnson knew that, and Disney did too. It's why they gave him writing and directing credit and just said, go ahead, see what you come up with. And they approved everything he did through that. Everything was approved. I mean, we, we, we talked about this earlier, and that's exactly what you told me. You're like, everything was ran by them. They, they checked every box. Like, they said it was cool. Um, so when it comes to something that happened in Star Wars, if you didn't like it, it's like, I don't know, man, that's the movie. Like, <laughs> it's not that I don't know. serious. It's I, not that serious. Yeah. Like, and you know, I am going to, I think some, you know, if you were not happy with how Ryan Johnson, uh, his answers to some of the big questions, I almost blame JJ Abrams for set, setting up questions that he would not have to answer. You know, you know when they when they made a new hope, it was a standalone film, and you know he he puts and apparently he's pretty good at creating these mystery boxes. You know, who was Snoke? Who were Ray's parents? Who had Luke's lightsaber all this time? What's what's you, the smoke monster? What is the island? Yeah, yeah right. exactly. J.J. Abrams has got it. So there's all these great mysteries, but he wasn't going to be the one to have to answer. It's like, well, that's someone else's problem. So I almost feel like that's that in itself can be become a pro. That's kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you've got to meet those expectations. And in some cases, maybe it's better to subvert them. And in other cases, maybe it's better to meet them. And I think this movie did both of those things. It perpetuated kind of this mystery and illusion of Star Wars and also satisfied my curiosity. You get to see, like you were talking about the military battles, you get to see everything you want to see. It's all there. It just may not be in the exact yeah, like, version you'd expect. Like my, my own personal crappy fan fiction didn't come true. 
which was you <laughs> no, wanted to see no era. i mean i mean i just think that that's a lot of people that are upset or you know they wanted to see certain things that they didn't get to see and that's well i mean right that's, that's your own fault <laughs> no i was referring because we, we talked about this the other day i was referring to when you said you wanted to see uh more force powers you right wanted, you know you wanted to see an expansion of that and when you say that, that's a that's a big ask. Like there's you know there's a lot of different force powers. You don't really know where that's going to go. What do you mean by that exactly? Mm-hmm. Well, and I even when I said that, I even said that I don't know what else there is that we haven't already seen. Like I, I'm not creative enough to come up with something else that's cool or fits in the the universe. I just know like you know all we've seen is like stuff moving around, and right? Some, and some and- force lightning. Right, and the difference is you didn't want to see exactly what we've done before. I mean, you did, but you also wanted to see building upon that foundation. You want to see more. You want to see them do more. And that happens in this movie, even if it doesn't necessarily go the way a lot of people would like. Mm -hmm. I guess something that does bother me is the difference in vision from Abrams to Johnson. Because like you said... Abrams was setting up stuff and he was he was posing questions he didn't have to answer and that does feel a little short-sighted on Disney's part to yeah. be fair yeah, it does agreed. that 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 does seem like okay you guys probably should have had a little bit more of you know a group think session on this whole thing but that doesn't lead me to think that it's a bad film for it it just surprised yeah. me and sometimes I, the best films do that I assume that they sat down over I don't know a month and had bunch of writers and storytellers come out and draw a you know three film arc similar to how um, jk rowling did for harry potter she wrote the entire saga like you know sketched out the outline of all seven books before she ever wrote the first one um so i figured they kind of did the same thing but everything i've read said that was not the case they they started with one film one and then we're gonna go on to film two and then film three it's not just one cohesive uh thing right before we move on, and I know we have to, which is a bummer. Any other thoughts? Um, I mean, like I said, I I really enjoyed it, and it it subverts a lot of expectations, and not just for the sake of it. I mean, it, it all makes logical sense, and like I said, it ascends to a higher cinematic plane. If that <laughs> as pretentious as that that sounds, <laughs> because it, like I said, there's there's themes, there's meanings. Like I've watched a couple of really great analysis videos. Um, and, and I feel some people who don't like it just like they either don't get it or they don't see that. Like, you know, I can understand the criticism, but you can't like there are things there. Even if you don't like them, you have to admit that there are these certain themes and meanings running through through the film. And like I said, it reminds me of some really great, great works like uh, like Unforgiven, Lo- uh, Logan in deconstructing the myth of the, the hero and um with a little bit of the Dark Knight as well, and that's not anything I've said about any of the other Star Wars Wars films. You know, I've never said like, "Oh, that reminds me of this great film." I I think I agree in almost every part of what you said. I think Star Wars Episode Eight satisfies my curiosity to see more of these characters I love. It introduces characters that I'm looking forward to getting to know more of, just like those characters, and it has action and adventure that most usually only a Star Wars film can satisfy. So, Andy, would you recommend Star Wars Episode Eight? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely is the correct <laughs> answer, sir. Congratulations. Thanks for playing. Enjoy the steak knives. Uh, next up, we need to talk about 
The death of cinema. The death of cinema. And let, let's Which, clarify the death of our segment again. Is that I, this yeah. isn't this isn't literally about things that are killing cinema, but this is about things that a lot of times people uh, uh, assert are the quote unquote. Because usually once a week, there's something an article about X Y Z is the death of cinema. X Y Z is killing movies. <laughs> right. So this is yeah. this is kind of our own personal one. Um, but we're going to be discussing fandoms fandoms which is a very very touchy subject to discuss on the internet <laughs> so go ahead and make a fool of yourself andy i'm listening what do you got well the main thing especially in so with star wars there has been very vehement dive, dive it's been very divisive you know mm. people saying it's great people saying it's hot trash ruin the series there were petitions to remove it from canon um and it's just like that's kind of ridiculous I mean, just to dislike something that much. I mean, if you dislike something, that's completely fine. But, like, to go to that extent is for something like a film is, is kind of ridiculous. Um, it, it, but it's also it's real toxic. And one of the things I've realized is that just because you're a fan of Star Wars doesn't mean you're necessarily a fan of cinema as far as, like, you know, obviously since it's such a high-grossing movie, there's lots of people seeing it who probably don't go to the movies all the time. You know, they're here to, here to see the big... <laughs> And it's like, like stereotyping, but go on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well. I mean, it's just you know, people, cinephiles like ourselves. Like, I want to see in-depth characters and oh, com- you know, it, no. It's like when I tried to go see Dunkirk, man. Like, people just don't appreciate a good movie anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's I gotcha. Yeah, I know. Well, and, and it's like what I realized is just like I said, because just because you are a huge Star Wars fans and you love the universe and you love the characters, doesn't mean you necessarily love deep and challenging films i mean it's like a lot of people hated blade runner 49 uh, 2049 like i i posted when i went and saw and all these people on my wall are like oh my god it was terrible it was too long it was miserable and it's just like uh well it just probably wasn't for you and that's that's okay yeah yeah but uh, yeah i get what you mean star wars <laughs> is a very include well, i like to think it's a very inclusive series a lot of people can like it it appeals to a wide audience there's a lot of there's a lot there to unpack yeah and it's um, and i and i want to think you know from a, a filmmaker's perspective like you're not making films for the fans because the fans are going to go see it you're making films like you said for a broader audience for more try to get as many people and appeal to as many people kind of as possible um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, a lot of the reactions, um, have just been, it's been just kind of absurd. Like I said, a petition to remove it from Canon and right. The, the, the danger of fandom, I think is it, it leads you away from developing your own opinion. It, it, it puts you into kind of an echo chamber of group think what's a commonly referred to as a circle jerk on reddit.com <laughs> yeah it, it just does like it, it gets you to a point where like other people will say something and you'll think to yourself hmm that's that's either a clever way to say that or that's a smart interpretation or i don't know you might agree with it and that's okay if you agree with what they think but like you have to be able to to discern for yourself what you think and then kind of go into the jungle and and look for other people's opinions you know like don't it's so easy to just get caught up in what the internet says and, and think to yourself oh well they all know what they're talking about i agree it did have problems that was something we talked about with last jedi i saw because after we saw it i i i went back and we, we were playing we were playing a game the other night and I said I, I would love to see somebody who hated the movie what they think and I found a clip I sent it to you earlier today I don't know if you watched it yeah I did I did 
yeah, it's like it's like eight minutes long, and it's this guy who just like is tearing apart Star Wars Episode Eight. And it would be easy to agree with him. It would. It's easy to agree with people who are distinguished, who have strong opinions, who know cinema very well. But it's important to kind of take that with a grain of salt and go see the movie for yourself with with your eyes as wide open as they can be and see what you think. And I think with Star Wars, it's so easy to get tangled up in that mess of people on the internet who think things about it. And what's funny to me is really, at the end of the day, I get you're passionate. I get Star Wars is something people hold near and dear to their hearts. For some people, it will make or break who they are as a person. <laughs> they wouldn't be who they are today without Star Wars. But that being said, for everybody who signed a petition saying Episode Eight shouldn't be in canon, I could bet almost every one of them are the same people who like hated the Star Wars prequels. But those are still a thing. Even if you don't talk about them, like they didn't go away. They're in the box set. They're still Star Wars movies, and that's okay. They have their own identity and they feel different but they're movies just like any other and they deserve the respect of somebody watching them and maybe enjoying them for a change <laughs> so that's that's how i feel about star wars fandom i guess <laughs> well and it's it's interesting because I, I read a really interesting article that you know disney per this was a completely calculated move and that and possibly that disney wants to maybe wash out some of their older fans and make way for a younger fandom, you know, because in the film, a lot of things that people hold near and dear are kind of of brushed off. And someone said this is kind of meta, that that's Disney's way of saying, you know, we love the OT, we love Luke Skywalker, but we can't, and part of this is commercial, I'm sure, is like you you can't sell old Luke Skywalker toys, but we can sell you know, Ray toys and Finn toys and, and Poe Dameron. And so part of, part of what I've, what I've read is that, you know, Disney uh, consciously wants to wash out the, the fandom and make way for a younger generation. I don't know how true that, that is or isn't, but it's, they knew, like I said, they, everything, all the decisions that were made, were signed off on by Disney and they, they probably knew that it was, it would be this divisive and that people would be this upset and they went through it anyways. Right. I think a lot of people hold star Wars up to a standard that it's just impossible to meet. Specifically. I think a lot of people don't let go of star Wars and that's a mistake because star Wars is, is not meant to be, I don't think this thing that, that defines who you are as a person, it's not meant to be just for you. It's for everybody. And specifically star Wars is a movie that works best. I think through the eyes of a young person who doesn't know any better. We can all remember the first time we saw star Wars, like it's incredible. And when you harp on something like episode eight and say, it shouldn't be in Canon and you bring all these adult problems into what should be a movie, <laughs> For kids, I mean, essentially, like, kids should enjoy Star Wars more than anybody else. When you do that, like, it just kind of muddies the waters a little bit, you know? You don't you don't own Star Wars. Nobody owns Star Wars. Like, let Star Wars do Star Wars, and you can either be on board with it, or you can't. And it's a lot more fun to be on board with it. So, yeah. yeah and I mean, and I'll be the first person to say I'm a huge Star Wars nerd and huge Star Wars fan. I've seen all the movies multiple times. I've played the games. I read the comics. I have the art on my walls. Like I am totally yeah. totally into it. Like I could e- and I could easily be one of those guys who just like loves it too much and then hates everything that that they come out with. But I think because I lower my expectations, I think for all cinema, I try to just kind of keep my expectations in the box 
and then it just makes everything so much more enjoyable. Right. Despite the fact that Star Wars is the eighth in a saga and that there will be more to come following it, at least episode eight, I mean, like, I think a really important part of going to the movies is when the lights go down, that's when you, you drop it all. Like, you forget everything else and you just enjoy it for what it is. You start there. And if you get to the end of the credits and you didn't like it, that's fine. And you have an objective opinion of why the movie was bad and you're probably right for it. Um, but you can't just go in holding it up to every other movie like this better meet my, you know, my standards of quality or else I'm going to hate it, which is funny coming from me who said it checks all the Star Wars boxes <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Um, but it's true. Like, I don't know. Star Wars is like, uh, I don't know. What do you what do you think? We well, should, I, I don't have much more to say about this, to be honest. The, the I, last I'm running thing, out of steam here. Yeah. The last thing that I'll I'll say is that I, I read an article uh, with Ryan Johnson, uh, Ryan Johnson, and he said, you know, if you take two any two Star Wars fans and you you have them make a list of what they want to see, those two lists are probably not going to line up. You know, especially when you multiply that times millions of of people. And so he said he didn't worry about what fans wanted. He worried about the creative film he wanted to make, and that's what I was so glad to see because I I love his previous work, Looper, um, Bronson, great films, and and very different. And that's why I was. <laughs> You're just gonna leave out the Brothers Bloom in 2008. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't realize that was part of his filmography. I didn't know he he, he did Bronson. That was a surprise to me. Um, Tom Hardy, yeah, great role. Huh. All right. So, and like I said, that's what I, I wanted to see: a good filmmaker make a good, unique film of things I hadn't seen before. That's why I go to the cinema. I want to see something I haven't seen before. Right. And I did. And Star Wars Episode Eight made that happen. Yeah. So I suppose that's it for our Death of Cinema segment. Death By the way, cinema. I totally, I, I did forget to say this. So if I could go back, what, 49 minutes in time, I'd sneak oh, in. Uh, this is off script, the home of Bold Cinema. I forget the opening every time. I need to start working that in. I, but we'll get there. Uh, I need to start writing it down, I guess. So the last move we should talk about. Oh, wait, we do have some movies. some fan correspondence. On oh, do you want to do last... it now? Okay, yeah. I thought you were doing it at the end. Let's do it now. Great. Um, do you have it? You want to send it to me? I think I said to, to you. It's in your email. Did you? Oh, good, because I, I have that open. Stand by. Go ahead. Talk talk amongst yourselves. What do you, what do you got? Which email did you send it to? <laughs> Your work email. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yes, got it. All right. And should I say her name? Andra. Andra from Dallas. In The Last Jedi, we hear the John Williams music, see the opening scroll, and are instantly put back into our childhood Star Wars delight. But when I look at a map of the Star Wars universe, and I want to see new things, a blend of the old and new, and a storyline that gives into the new characters. The Last Jedi felt most like a glimpse into Star Wars life, but it's clear that this is no longer a classic good guy versus bad guy tale, and that no one's fate is certain. It seemed the most susceptible to random chance. I'm reserving full judgment till episode 9, but I'd say the same if I knew episode 10 was on the way. You can be a grumpy fan if you expect to love a family movie as much as you love the ones you grew up with. Wow, Andrew knows what's up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it helps me view all additional Star Wars telling as a fun novelty. I can call Luke's new home Made Planet, in quotes, and assume Maz Kanata is Estelle Getty from the Golden Girls. Uh, she kind of lost me on the end, but I was, <laughs> I was totally with her. At the, uh, yeah. She, am I saying that right? Andra? Andra? Andra. Andra. Apologies, Andra. Thank you for the fan mail. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it's for everyone. It's a family film. Oh, it's about, like I said, it's about seeing something new. And that over, more than anything, that's all I wanted to see. I wanted to see something I hadn't seen before. Right. I think there are parts in Episode Eight that might feel a little ham-fisted to Star Wars veterans, but, I mean, picking up picking up the, the cowl, to, to borrow a gag from the movie, 
and and making a Star Wars film is a lot different than just having seen them and forming your own opinions about them, you know? Like, it's not easy to make a Star Wars movie. I would say that is very, very difficult because of the expectations people like us have. Um, so when you go see one, you kind of you got to be self-aware of that kind of thing, you know? Like, people people are going to be disappointed. Somebody's going to walk out of that movie and not like it. It's unfortunate that it was you, but you should take stock of why that might be if you didn't like Star Wars Episode Eight, and maybe listen to other people's opinions of why they liked it, and maybe maybe you'll feel differently. All right. Thank you, Andre and Dallas. I hate to... Ah, gosh, I hate to move on from that to kind of shoehorn in a Netflix movie, but it's a movie we're talking about, I think, because this thing's been making the rounds. The movie is bright. I think we might be in a prophecy. We're not in a prophecy. How do you know? All right. We're in a stolen Toyota Corolla. Directed by David Ayer, Bright is a story set in a world where mystical creatures live side by side uh, with humans. And the world isn't all that mystical. It turns out it's really just reality, Plus or minus some mystical creatures in a very Dungeons and Dragons, Lord, techno, of, the, Lord of the Rings esque way. Yeah, neo noir. Well, it's not neo noir at all. Who am I kidding? Lord of the Rings way. Yes, the film stars Will Smith in the pivotal role as Officer Nick Ward, a human cop with a wife and child, and his partner. Joel Edgerton, who plays an orc named Nick Jacoby. <laughs> I got these right so far yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, who are on a... It's not, it's not even really a quest. They're kind of just working a beat. And they end up getting into some hijinks, as buddy cops do, uh, involving a mystical weapon and a lot of bad people who want that weapon for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's our setup. Andy, what did you think of Bright? Well, I want to start with a Netflix story I read about a year and a half ago um that Netflix bought paid a huge amount of money for this um for this property they spent 90 million dollars acquiring the script and th- that's the sc- and that's the script and what they were going to spend on production and, and advertise like the whole thing the next lowest bi- bid was 60 million and then 50 million so they paid a huge amount to have this and the reason they have to do that is because there are no box office residuals they have to pay the stars up front what they would have earned on the back end uh, of a movie. Um, so it was, this was a hot property, and, and it's supposed to launch a franchise. We'll see uh, whether or not that happens. Um, but I just thought it was a, a, an incredible thing, and, and you know Netflix is known for being disruptive and for taking risks. And uh, I feel like this movie does that. Because basically, I, when I was watching it, I was like, this is like Lord of the Rings meets... Uh, training day slash end of watch, which is also like satire and social commentary. And I was like, that film would never have been made by big by big studio. It's t- it's too risky. And I think even if it were in in theaters, I, pr- I think I probably would see it. But I think a lot of people would maybe think it was maybe too strange or too weird. But because it's on Netflix and there, it's not costing you any extra if you if you subscribe to that, um, you know, it's and it's been a huge hit. Right. I think that's such a big part of what this movie is. It's its identity on Netflix. I mean, the movie opens with like the Netflix, boom, you know, like a Netflix. It's very clear. It's on the end of the movie. Netflix, like Netflix owns this movie. And that's a big part of where it comes from, because just like Mudbound, it's honestly probably a movie worth watching just to get that out front. Um, 
But if it had been in theaters, I probably would have skipped it. I probably wouldn't have seen it. I probably would have seen that the trailer for it and gone, that looks really cool because the trailer did look really cool. And think to myself, can't wait to see that when it's on Netflix. Like, I wouldn't pay to go see that in the movie theater like I would with episode 8. But when, since it's on Netflix, I can see it. I can watch it in the comfort of my own home. I can form opinions about it. And I can think more of Netflix and the people involved for it. Bright, to me, is pretty good, I think. Um, and you're not, like, smiling or laughing, so I'm going to guess you <laughs> so far agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's got some issues, I'll be honest. But for a movie that is an original script that isn't an adaptation, that is doing something that's a little different than from what we normally expect at the movies, I can get behind it. There was a there was a news story we had talked about doing at the beginning of this episode that we decided we wouldn't. Um, out of the 25 top movies this year at the box office worldwide, um, only one of them wasn't an adaptation or a reboot or a remake, and that was Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan. And that's based on a true story. We don't get a whole lot of like just original idea movies anymore. I'm glad Netflix is buying them. I'm glad Netflix is doing them because it gets us somewhere as far as hmm. cinema is concerned, I think. And they're not just doing them. They're doing it on a big budget because, I mean, there are a lot of original films, but they're generally indie films. They're smaller. They're smaller budgets. It's, you know, it's, it's lower risk. Right. As far as budget goes for Bright, this movie, it reminded me of an upscale John Wick if yeah. that makes any sense. Sure. Because John Wick, like, a lot of people, I think, praise it for its action. But, like, the effects are pretty freaking cheap in John Wick. I mean, at one point, he's swinging around a CGI knife, straight up. Like, <laughs> it doesn't look that good. But it's a clever idea, and in execution, it worked. And, like, you can look past that. And there's a couple parts in Bright where I felt that way. For the most part, like, budget's on point. Makeup's pretty solid. Set design's really good. Like... Lots of it action. Looks pretty gr- lots yeah, of action. lots of action. Like the movies, the movies got it where it needs to have it. There's some problems, and we should probably talk about that. But for what it is, Bright is a fun movie to watch. It's a fun movie to look at. It's a fun movie to talk about. It's all right. Yeah, pretty and, good. And we get, you know, so some of the things that are crazy in it. So the, uh, we have a buddy, not necessarily buddy cop, but it's like it's a kind of partner cop drama between. Will Smith and an orc, like Lord of the Rings orc. There are also fairies and elvish elf elf yes. people, and this is all happening in modern day L.A. I mean, that's I mean, this there's so many elements from from all these different places, but it, but to me, it it worked. I was really into it. I was into the lore and the, and the nerdiness of it. Um, and you know, there's like I said, there's also social commentary about race and class um, that are also and th- I mean, those are hot topics. Uh, for anyone to want to to bring up, but it's it's brought up, and that's what part that's part of what art is for, and what it does. It it helps us look at difficult things in a more digestible way. Right. I think the one of the things that's most effective about Bright is its world building, because when you're introducing a world like this, that's supposed to be reality plus or minus a couple of things we are familiar with. Um, it's weird, you know, you're, you're expecting a lot of your audience to kind of bridge that gap and watching this movie, honestly, opening it, I, I honestly expected like a cheesy wall of text, unfortunately, like the beginning of Blade Runner 2049, frankly, that explains how, how the world you're about to see got where it is today. Bright doesn't do that. It's got one quote to be fair. Um, and then it starts and you're just in it. In fact, the opening kind of title sequence introduces you to the world. There's a lot of graffiti on the walls of LA depicting mythical creatures. It makes it very clear. This is the world we're in. It's the world, you know, plus elves and orcs and fairies go and magic go. That's the movie. That's the movie. 
and it works. It doesn't it doesn't hold your hand. It doesn't say, "Hey, here's exactly how it all happens." I mean, it kind of does, but it doesn't in a smooth enough way that it feels like the characters you're watching are in the world they're in. When the actors say a word like orc or they're talking to an elf, it's convincing, and that's exactly what it needs to be. It convinces you as an audience member to go along with it, and it helps your brain suspend disbelief long enough for you to get in the universe and enjoy the plot, which is, unfortunately for me, I felt like where the movie struggled. I felt like the movie had some troubles in plot. I There go were ahead. a lot of... Yeah, sorry. There were a lot of points where I felt like the plot was... I mean, the I guess the plot makes sense for what it is. I mean, mapping it out, it looks like it works. But a lot of the character motivations to get from A to B didn't quite work for me. There were times a character would do something, and I'd think to myself, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. It's almost like watching somebody in a horror film, like, instead of running away from the bad guy, like, hide in a house. You're like, no, run, you fool, what are you doing? Like, that happens a handful of times in Bright, and whenever it did, it felt a little contrived, a little bit forced. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, I think, is my biggest criticism. For the most part, the movie holds up. What do you think? Um, so my two, uh, I've just a couple of small criticisms, but I really liked it. Um, I felt like there were actually maybe a little bit too many action scenes. Specifically in the middle, there's like action set piece after action set piece after action set piece. It's kind of maybe a little bit too many all in a row. Uh, the other thing, um, and this is where fantasy movies can run into some trouble, is just having too much jargon to kind of keep up with. I mean, yeah, I mean sure. it, it's one of these things in something like Lord of the Rings because so many people are into it already. Maybe you're a little bit more familiar and it's not as hard, but they introduce a lot of new terms and new kind of races and characters and different things that were a little bit difficult to keep up with, particularly with the elves, the elf people. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. And that that was one of the things that I felt was strange because on the one hand, I felt like the movie should have been a half hour shorter than it was. It's two and a half. Well, it's two hours. Two hours. It's like 157 and it felt a little long. But at the same time, yeah, there were there were concepts that I didn't get. In fact, there's one scene um, about a third of the way in, you know, kind of kind of from the turning point of the first act to the second act when a couple of officers are interrogating an individual and there's a fair amount of world building exposition in that scene. In fact, arguably it sets up what the plot is going to be. Um, and they throw a lot of names at you and terms real fast. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well it started to lose me a little bit, which is not what you want in a movie like this. Um, so the balance there on kind of how they get information to the audience member is not, it's not quite right. I, I think mm-hmm. the world they built works. I think the way they use the elements in it is a little sluggish. Um, but I don't know. I, I was able to keep up with it for the most part. Once the plot gets rolling, you know, the action definitely helps. Kind of, it, it helps. It helps the, the sh- it helps the medicine go down. You know, it, uh-huh. it helps you get from scene to scene. You know, you, Will Smith shooting a shotgun. Got it. You know, we mm-hmm. love Will Smith. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Joel jo- Edgerton shooting a thing. Great. Yeah. Perfect. And Joel Joel Edgerton, you know, being uh, he he plays the orc, um, uh, Jacoby, and it, he looks great. It, and it just I, I just think, man, he must have been in that the makeup chair for hours. Um, yeah. For that, yeah, the makeup's as, great. As well as everyone else um, who um, you know who had to get into the uh, orc makeup. Um, but you know, we we joke around about uh, off script being the home of bold cinema, and to me, this is bold cinema. It, it took a lot of risks and mixed a lot of elements that I've never seen mixed together before. And 
touched on subjects that a lot of people would rather just shy away from. So, uh, I mean, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Right. The movie, it takes a lot of chances. It's true. Like there's, like I said, there's a lot of set pieces. There's a scene in a strip club. There's a scene in kind of a gangster hideout. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. And they put these characters in a lot of kind of different settings um, and kind of watch how they deal with other different characters of races and kind of approach um, in these settings, shootouts. Like there's a lot there and, and they really do build that world out for you. Um, as far as the makeup goes, it definitely helps. It does. Joel Edgerton it looks relatively convincing as an orc. I think if I hadn't known it was Joel Edgerton, I would get to the end of the movie and immediately IMDb it. Like, who was that guy? Because I got to know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's almost an unrecognizable role. I, honestly, probably completely unrecognizable, to be fair. Um, and there were parts when he's talking and where I thought they must have, like, supplemented the makeup with CGI or something. Probably. so good. I don't know if they did or not. And that's what I mean with the kind of the John Wick... Uh, metaphor that there are parts of the movie that look really great and are very convincing. There are other parts where it struggles a little bit. It just does. I mean, there's, there's, there was a bit where they were driving in a car and it's raining. I was like, that's the fakest rain I've ever seen in a movie <laughs> in my life. Like, are you kidding me? That doesn't look real at all. They got an intern holding the hose, but it's still, like, it, it works. Like if you, if you kind of just, you know, and just sit back and enjoy it as a, a kind of a popcorn flick and the comfort of your own home, it's, it's a movie and it'll work. And you're exactly right with, with bold cinema. I had a buddy on Twitter uh, that, that made a great point. He said, if you are one of the people on the internet who thinks bright is the worst movie of 2017, it's not true. But even if it was look, look at what kind of movie bright is like, it's an original film. Like they, they took chances. They did something different. They tried new things. That's something worthy of praise, at the very least, I think, uh, instead of scorn. But uh, what do you think? Uh, no, I, I agree that, I mean, people always complain about a lack of originality in Hollywood. And Netflix is kind of, it seems like a platform where it's it, there's less ri- risk-taking. You know, all no one's worried about how much money they're going to make off the film because they just, they pay a premium for it up front. And they use it to just either get more viewers or to keep the one ones they have but they're not worried about box office numbers or or ticket sales and and they're very um they're very closed as to the success of it like no one knows how successful something is or isn't on netflix they don't release numbers or figures or specs or any kind of uh frame of reference you know you right. c- you won't you know something maybe like stranger things is a hit because everyone has seen it and everyone talks about it and it's a huge like cultural thing now but i mean you don't know what's a flop. You don't know what's a hit. You don't know what's kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> <That's>, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. So it's just, it's, it's great to have this platform where, you know, new and unique things that most studios probably wouldn't take a chance on can be made and be seen. Right. And that's one of the things I think is, is so important about Netflix making a decision to buy a movie like this, because you look at the price tag and think, wow, that that costs an awful lot for what they got. But there's a couple things here. One, we know Netflix does everything on data. They can look at exactly what people watch, how long they watch it, what kind of people are watching the content they are like. They make smart purchases and they also take take risks and try new things like Netflix bought this movie knowing it was going to make them something on their platform. If not money, then they were going to get something out of it. And I know they've already approved it for a sequel, right? They're already doing another one. Oh, I, I wasn't sure about that, but I did read that it, they franchise in mind. Um, right. Well, okay. Maybe if they haven't announced it officially, I think they want to do that. Yeah. The The other thing is that they think globally. You know, most you know American studios are thinking about 
American audiences and and the global box office, but Netflix thinks worldwide from the beginning, from the get-go, and they may get a lot more viewers. I mean, people maybe in the States are maybe more cynical about films, but you know, by and large, overseas American movies are a big deal. So they, they think on a more global scale from the get-go, I think. Right. Despite Netflix's flaws, despite problems in their maybe streaming service, issues you may have with the amount of content they have available that you may or may not like, um, between the option of either another original Adam Sandler film from Happy Madison Productions or something like Bright, I would take Bright any day of the week. Yeah, It's new, it's different, it's unique, it's an original screenplay. I think it's worth your time. Yeah, and it's also interesting that, I mean, this was kind of marketed as their Christmas blockbuster. It's essentially, it's kind of, you know, up against Star Wars. Not directly, but it's still, it's another blockbuster at the same kind of time of year. So it's mm-hmm. it's cool to have another option. Yeah, I agree, which is why it's worth talking about next to Star Wars on this show, I guess. Andy, uh, would you recommend Bright? Absolutely. I would recommend it as well. It's got issues, but it's a fun flick. Yeah. And it's it's worth it's worth a click. It's worth a view. So yeah. Well, I think that just about wraps up our show. Is there anything you want to cover before we go? I know we're over on time, but <laughs> it is the end of the year. Did you have any any movies you wanted to talk about? Maybe honorable mentions this year. Movies that you were a fan of. How about that? I mean, I th- I think the things that really stand out to me, um, Get Out, Dunkirk, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, it Last Jedi, of course. Um, yeah, those, I mean, you know, people always say this year is a terrible year for cinema. Like, in a year, uh, you know, people will, will say that that wasn't a good year for film. There's been this um, survey going on on our movies of a uh, survey of every single year since 1990 where people do surveys of, of their favorite films, you know, and there's a huge list, um, and it just wrapped up. And in every single thread, people are like, oh, this was a terrible year for film. This was a terrible, like... And it, in the same thread, there's people that will say this was a great year for for film. And you know, going through those lists, it's like every year there's a lot, there's a ton of great movies that come out. I I definitely never can never see all of them. So it's right. Um, yeah, it was it was a great year for film. I think I, I think it was too. And I was a cynic last year. I was uh, like people said 2016 it was a great year for cinema. I was like, oh please, what do you mean? Um, but it's true, like honestly reflecting, and I think this year was too. I mean, I think I, I genuinely do think we are, <laughs> this is going to sound very like I'm calling, I'm calling my shot way out front here. I think we are starting to move away from traditional Marvel universe, comic book hero, follow the formula, uh, paint between the lines movies. Like we're starting to get to a point where people are getting a little tired of that and we want something new and we want something different. You can look at movies like it or Dunkirk, which by the way, Christine totally got me on Blu-ray. I know you can't see that All on right. Skype, but I know I gotta watch it. Um, Dunkirk or uh, personal favorite Baby Driver, um, or even The Last Jedi. Yeah. You can look at movies like that, and you can think to yourself, you know, there's something happening here. Like there is an expression of opinion that is different than what everybody else is doing, and it's important to find those people and praise them for it. Blade Runner twenty forty nine, of course. My God, what am I doing? Even though that's a sequel. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with making movies like we've been making, Marvel movies, Star Wars movies, movies that kind of follow the traditional formula. But if you're going to make movies like that, I think we should look at people like Taika Waititi with Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. 
expanding that formula or even Ryan Johnson with the last Jedi, like doing a twist on it, like growing it, you know, making it, making it bigger than itself, moving the genre forward instead of just saying, staying in the same place for the sake of making money at the box office. Right. So yeah. And movies like bright, I think also help with that. I do. Um, so I guess that knocks out honorable mention. Shoot. Anything else you want to say before the end of the year? Um, well, it'll be interesting to see with uh, award season coming up. All those films uh, be coming out uh, this next month, and Oscars are uh, end of February. So uh, we'll be catching up on those and seeing what the uh, Academy has in mind. We're gonna have to have some kind of like Oscar hit list show. I, don't, I think it's too much to do it all at once, but it'd be great if we could just take a couple couple categories every episode. And just address them. Like, who do you think will win in this one? How about this one? And kind of go, go down the line. I'm usually terrible about watching Oscar season movies, so hopefully you can keep me online. Mm-hmm. And I can, <laughs> I can, we can just watch stuff in affiliation with this show. That'll get me to do it. Um, but yeah, Oscar season will be good, I hope. I I worry about movies that have, that are coming out and people are already speculating, oh, it'll be a box office smash, or it's going to get ripped off at the Oscars. or That kind of talk kind of spooks me a little bit the pretentiousness of the oscars freaks right. me out because movies can get really really self-indulgent and that's maybe not such a good thing sometimes it just feels like you're trying to get an oscar like oscar bait you know yeah sure <laughs> um but i'm looking forward to it i think 2018 we're moving in a good direction and i'm excited to see more movies at the movies i guess <laughs> so yeah right. um with that being said yeah i guess that wraps our show uh the new year's episode uh, at the home of Bold Cinema, I'm I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm Dr. Draper, and this is Off Script, and this is Off Script. Thanks for listening.